0: everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Hazel Wallace. Hazel is a really great friend of mine. And so I took my mic and my kit on the road and I went to visit Hazel to record this episode. And after 18 months of virtual recordings, it was really great to be back in the room and to connect and to be able to record this conversation. Now, many of you may know hazel wallace as the food medic so she's created an incredible professional brand around her work as a doctor around her passion for exercise and healthy living and nutrition she's an author she also hosts the food medic podcast and as i mentioned you know she's done a really great job of creating this professional brand but what i think this conversation will do is show another side to hazel maybe a more personal side to her and we talk a lot about her experience during the pandemic working for the nhs but also all of the other parts of who she is and you know being a high performing person being an ambitious woman and and all of the different things that come with that so i really enjoyed this conversation with hazel let's dive in to this week's episode welcome to the power hour i'm adrienne herbert wellness coach international speaker and author Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Hazel Wallace, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. It's so good to see you. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. Yeah, it's so nice to be back on the podcast.
0: And for the listeners of the show who know I've been recording remotely for, I guess, almost two years, I don't know, since the start of the pandemic. And this is my first face-to-face recording. I'm on the road today with my mic, so I literally brought all of my equipment with me. Really hoping the sound's still going to be good, but it's so good to actually see you and yeah, be able to connect and record together.
1: Yeah, actually, this has been my first face-to-face podcast since the start of the pandemic. So it's actually really nice to see your face and speak to you.
0: And last time you were on the Power Hour podcast was actually 2018, that is wild it was like I think one of the first say 10 episodes so if you haven't heard that episode it's absolutely brilliant you have to go all the way back because there's been like 150 now but scroll all the way back it was in the first 10
1: and yeah I mean a lot has gone down Hazel since then I know I know a lot I don't even know where to start but 2018 seems like a very long time ago yeah well I
0: guess well I guess where I'd like to start because of course Anyone who follows you online will know that for the last, you know, you've worked in the NHS for a long time. But for the last two years during the global pandemic, you know, you lived alone in lockdown. You worked for the NHS literally through the peak and the start of the everything unfolding here in London. So I'd love to start with that, really, and just see, firstly, how did you cope? And secondly, how you just to hear what that experience was like for you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I did lockdown on my own in London and I was um, redeployed very early on um, as a COVID doctor so I was originally working in gastroenterology Um, and then I moved so that was on a Wednesday I was told that I'm going to start working as a COVID doctor. And I started my job on a Friday and our whole ward was just turned round into this like COVID ward. And we are a bunch of gastroenterology doctors who don't uh, typically look after the lungs. Obviously, if you're a doctor, you're kind of medically trained in all aspects of the body. But it was a real shake up to kind of our typical day to day medicine. And obviously, we're dealing with this new illness that... No one knew anything about and we were having lectures from doctors all over the world as they were learning about it, like different virologists, epidemiologists, what should we be doing, what things to look out for, like how to manage a patient who becomes very unwell. And it just went from zero to 100 so quickly and my first week was a seven day back to back shift um obviously I came home in between but it was like seven days on and it was so intense but we were kind of it it was exciting at the same time because you feel like you're contributing and helping and you don't have time to think about the sheer magnitude of patients that you're seeing and London March April 2020 was not a good place and the hospitals were really swimming in it so that was stressful and I think it helped me get through the pandemic, having a bit of routine and going into work every day. But by the time we got to August and things settled, I was just so fatigued and ready to take a break.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I guess before we even got to August, when it first started, you mentioned then about the intensity of being in the hospital every day. I can't help but think maybe as a doctor you're just used to being selfless but I can't help but thinking were you not afraid yourself as you said no one really knew what it was what the effects long term were going to be how kind of deadly it was did you were you fearful that you would become infected with covid yourself
1: yeah so I got covid really early on um at the time we weren't testing um but in on reflection that's what I had and that was the first week of kind of our lockdown and so I was off sick and all of the doctors on our ward we were just dropping like flies it was just one after the other just everyone getting COVID and when we first started working we weren't really sure what PPE to wear and also we didn't have that much available so we were just wearing plastic pennies like that you'd sell cakes with initially and a mask and so but you're like you know up close and personal with a patient who's breathing very heavily and coughing and expelling the virus and so you know it was it was only going to happen so I was I was scared but I was also naive but for me when I was at my most scared was Christmas 2020 when things became really bad again and I got a call to say that I needed to come back to work and I was uh, then spent my New Year's Eve in the hospital and for february january and february of 2021 worked on itu as a nurse because we didn't have enough enough nurses i'm not trained as a nurse but that's what my job was and i was so scared i remember just crying to my mum on the phone because i just didn't know if i had it in me to go back and do that again
0: Wow. I mean, it's incredible, incredibly powerful to hear you say that so honestly, and also so admirable for you to have done that and for you to have gone back because actually I do remember us having a conversation in between those lockdowns, you know, the first one and the Christmas one. And I remember, you know, you saying how difficult it was. And I guess when you get that call to say, okay, we need more doctors, we need more nurses, can you come back? you didn't have to say yes, right? You know, I know you're a trained doctor and I know that's innate. It's why you became a doctor, but you could have said, you know what? No, like for my mental health, my physical health, I've been in the trenches doing this for months and actually, you know, I need a break and nobody could have criticized you for doing that. So yeah, I guess how did you, or why did you say yes and go back into that environment again?
1: I think, yeah, like I, I feel like I couldn't just sit back and not go in and, when you you know you go into medicine for a reason and that's to help people and so I couldn't I you know I wouldn't be able to be happy with myself if I didn't go in and and do my best but it did come to a point you know April time where I was very burnt out and had to take time out of work and took maybe two weeks off every all types of work my food medic work hospital work everything and had like intense therapy because I just was like I can't even move forward and I maybe spent three days in bed just sleeping and crying and I got through it in the end and like now I feel I'm in you know I'm absolutely fine and you know I'm so glad I got through it but like I just suppressed so much to just get through the shifts because the things that you experience on those shifts is like you just have to suck it up and just get on with it because it's work but then you have to come home and try sleep and go and do it again the next day and I just you know I worry about the mental health of everyone in the NHS after what we've been through
0: yeah, I'm sure. Well, gosh, I'm so glad that, you, you know, you had that time to, I guess, recover. I mean, even when you said two weeks, I was thinking that is not long. To be honest, I was thinking two months wouldn't have even been long. So yeah, do people, are other people that you work with, within the NHS, are they able to take that time out? And is the support available for them to, to do therapy? Can they rest? Do you feel that everybody has had an opportunity to try and recover?
1: No, I don't think so. I think like, Obviously, if you're really struggling, you can, you know, take sick leave like you could with every job and you get signed off by your own GP. Um, and there are psychologists available in the NHS, but again, like it's not as easily accessible. And I think I'm like in a place of privilege where I have uh, I paid for my own therapist because I just didn't know what to do and I didn't want to sit in a wait list and my GP was helpful but like you can get referral via your cheapie for psychology but again it's a wait list and I just thought this is something that I want to invest in um and yeah I think we could do so much more for for staff because like you know once COVID goes away it's not like you just finish your job we still have to deal with all of the backlogs from COVID so yeah it's it was you know it was a good lesson. Like, not that I'm grateful that I went through it, but I'm grateful that I got through it. And it made me realise, it made me realise what burnout actually is because I experienced it firsthand. And I think a lot of people have experienced that this year, whether you're a doctor, a teacher, a parent, you know, because no one had that break. We just kept going because we were like, just keep hustling. We're almost through. We're almost through one more lockdown. And yeah, I mean, fingers crossed we're on the home stretch now
0: gosh yeah and you're right that everyone whether you're a doctor and whether you worked in the NHS or not whether you're a carer whether you're a parent you know parents homeschooling for that amount of time I mean we're not qualified teachers we're not you know you're trying to do so many things and I think for a lot of people you're right it's just been like okay move on to the next thing kids are back to school back to work managing our hybrid working working from home there hasn't really been I guess a time for people to just go whoa hold on a minute you've just spent a year or more of your life having to deal with so many things like firefighting all the time and of course there has to come a point where you reflect and recover and take a break so I hope that if anyone listening who's thinking gosh I haven't had any time to rest and recover I've just gone straight into the next thing which is so normal for us to do that hopefully they can take out some time before they reach that point of of burnout where it's you know absolutely essential necessary as you said if you can't you know get out of bed or then you can't take care of your kids you can't drop them off at school you can't cook you can't work um so i hope people will will hear that and Hazel, knowing you, I want to move on, I guess, to the conversation from from COVID and from lockdown and knowing you for, I think it's like six years coming up to, which is <laughs> just mad. It's such a long time. But the entire time I've known you, you are someone who is incredibly driven. You have achieved so much. You know, you've written bestselling books. You're always studying. You gained your master's degree during lockdown, uh, as well as working, as well as your food medic, you know, podcast, your social media content is so much. It is a lot It's a lot. (laughs) You know, it's really a lot. And I think for high achieving people, they probably can relate to this idea of wanting to do more and achieving becoming so much so fundamental to who they are. So I'm really interested to talk to you today about the concept of achieving and to hear your thoughts on how you manage the desire to strive and achieve more and to kind of get into that process of looking forward to the next thing, as well as understanding you know, why you're striving for what you're striving for. So when is your work fulfilling? What makes you happy? And when does it start to become too much? Because for many high achievers, I really think it's a fine line and they want to do more and maybe they can do more. You know, I think about myself included sometimes in that. I want to do more things and I know I have the capacity to do it but I don't want to get, you know, so close to burnout, or I don't want to stop enjoying it, because I'm just relentlessly doing the next thing and the next thing. So yeah, how do you manage that fine, fine line?
1: That's a big question. And I think, you know, when you are someone who is a high achiever, like, you know, not for everyone, but usually it starts young, and maybe someone saw some kind of something in you when you're in school whether that's a parent or a teacher and they're like wow you're really good at x and you should try y and so you're like oh I am good at this and then people tell you that you're really good and so you learn quite young that like this element of validation comes with doing well in studies and academia and yeah and I mean all things aside I'm I absolutely love learning like I mean I would go back to uni tomorrow if I could because I just find I love that personal growth and I think for me that dri- that drives me a lot and so that's why I've kind of done all the things that I've done and I've got to where I, I want to be but I definitely feel like now when I achieve something really big, a big goal, that it feels good for a moment and then I'm like right what's next and it's really hard to catch yourself and be like hey let's just take a moment you achieve that amazing goal that you've been working for five years do we really need to rush on to the next thing and you can almost like fall into the cycle where you're just chasing goals and ticking boxes but are you doing like to what end like is it getting you closer to the life that you want to have for yourself? And that's the question I've been asking myself more in the last year. And I turned 30 last year. And I think that was a really pivotal moment for me because I'm like, okay, I'm 30 now. It is what it is. Like, am I on track for the life, my blue sky day, my blue sky life? And yes, I've done all these amazing things, but I do feel and on reflection that I may have sacrificed some of the living part of life for that like hustling side mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah it definitely makes sense and I think it's really honest of you to to say that because you know actually funny when you said the living part I actually did a tweet the other day shared it on Instagram as well basically saying that the problem sometimes with this work-life balance approach is that work is Before life because that's the order of prioritization and also can we put living at the center of life and I completely relate to that idea of like I help people to set goals I encourage people to look at you and I and you know I do this for myself but I do this for others you know look at the year ahead look at the 12 months look at the seasons like what do you want to achieve whether that's professional goals personal goals and that excites me, you know, I enjoy that. It mm. literally lights me up. I'm like, wow. And yeah, I want to read these books. I want to meet those people. And and similar to you, we wouldn't have achieved the things that we've achieved if we didn't have that. However, I think where we're both, you know, reflecting on this, like putting life at the center of life, maybe as well because of the pandemic, is that yes, you can achieve those things and they can stack up and you can tick off the boxes. But are you enjoying, you know, for example, it sounds a bit deep, but like your life is made up of years which is months, which is weeks, which is days. And in the day to day, the things you're doing every day when you wake up in the morning or what you're spending your time doing, is that the life that you want to be living? Is that giving you energy? Are you enjoying it? Because I guess if you're just, yeah, hustling, working, head down, head down, you know, no time for maybe friends or socializing or some people it's no time for exercise or no time for whatever, because they're so relentless, like on that one goal, that what happens next, and ultimately, yeah, is it going to be worth it when you get it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, also, if you are, you know, juggling many things, it's very easy to, um, like, I think, in, in my case, like, a lot of people tell me, oh, like, it's amazing that you've done all these things, and you juggle so many things, and blah, 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 and you're superwoman, and I know that you get this as well. And then, like, there's this, pressure to like be that person who's always doing those things and like doing more and always doing better and i think like this year i've actually decided to do less but focus more energy into the things that really matter and so i'm like trimming back things and i took a step back from the hospital which was like a big identity crisis for me because who am i if i'm not in, in the hospital in my scrubs and now i'm like you know I'm still a doctor but I'm like working for my own business and the sense of fulfillment I get from that is different but also I've got so much life and living back that I'm like for me like I've I'm successful in a different way Mm. because I've got that
0: Mm. oh that's great to hear that's so great to hear and can you give us some examples like what are those things when you say you've got some life and some living back what are those things that you're like wow I'm Doing these things again or enjoying or have time for that you didn't before?
1: It's so like, you know, it's the really simple things. It's having, like, all I wanted was one full day off in a weekend. And like now, sometimes I'll take two full days off on the weekend. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's what they do normally as part of their job. And I think that should be normal. But ever since I qualified as a doctor, the food medic was always running and that was always my side hustle so if I wasn't in the hospital I was building my brand I was writing a book I was doing something I was going to meetings I was going to events and there was no living and now like I am traveling more within what we could do in the last couple of years but like going out for brunches I'm dating I'm like spending time outdoors I'm having lazy days I'm you know like seeing more family and I'm catching up and I don't want to you know I don't want to wake up when I'm 50 and be like oh my god it's amazing that I've written 10 books but I'm lonely and I have missed out on all of this mm,
0: gosh yeah it's really interesting hearing that and actually I want to move on to another topic but it's kind of related so where we started off with achievement and, you know, understanding the desire to achieve and, and why high achievers can almost become, I guess, trapped in a loop and maybe a little bit addicted to this idea of achievement. And so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Anna Lembuck, uh, the author of Dopamine Nation. Her work and research into dopamine is fascinating, particularly in the context of our modern world. So she really highlights how our current environment kind of makes it easy for our brain to get the dopamine reward so if you think back I don't know hundreds of years ago millions of years ago whatever um, we would have to strive and do physical and mental you know tough things to get dopamine for example to get food to get warmth to get shelter to get uh, connection from other people whereas now of course we can get those things really easily so we can get a dopamine hit in our brain from eating delicious food sitting on the couch or we could get a dopamine hit from uh, maybe watching memes and laughing on twitter or you know getting likes on an instagram post or i don't know a long list of things that we can get dopamine from but we can get them really quickly and repetitively so we can just go one thing another thing another thing press refresh another thing another comment another thing um change the channel oh this is interesting and then get reach into the bag and get another chocolate and like you can just basically keep giving the brain more dopamine and so because it's so easy to get it, it's obviously harder to regulate, and it's just kind of this cycle that we can't seem to break. Now, well, first, all, I'm going to ask you about that and talk about dopamine, but then I want to think about yeah, in this context, when I was listening to her work, it really made me think about achievement, and it made me think, you know, anything that you do on a daily basis, whether that's drinking coffee, uh, I don't know, smoking, drinking alcohol. If you do something daily, then we class it as an addiction, and I was thinking about achievement in that way, and thinking actually, is achievement has achievement become an addiction for me? So yeah, Hazel, over to you. I'd love to hear from you on firstly on the the, the research and the the dopamine topic.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting, and a lot more researchers are speaking about it, and um, we're starting to learn a bit more about that like dopamine feedback loop um and dr andrew huberman who does huberman lab he's like a professor at stanford university he talks a lot about this and i find it really fascinating to listen to because it's not my area of expertise but i'm fascinated by it because like you said we it's so easy to get a hit of dopamine like every whatsapp ding every like every you know every time you're sitting on the sofa we can like tap into so many different dopamine stores like whether it's like watching your favorite program eating a tub of ice cream while scrolling on social media but then we're increasing our threshold to get that like buzz off dopamine and so if we're constantly kind of operating at this higher level it's like we need more to feel good about it and so you have to keep doing more you have to keep layering on more activities and so you know the the kind of question as to whether you can apply the same thing to success I I agree I think like every time you tick off a goal if you're doing like loads and you're chasing loads of different things um you can get that like it's almost anticlimactic because you almost need more to feel like you're enough and you're doing enough and to be honest I don't think I have the answer to to how you overcome that but one thing that i've been practicing is i think with social media for example i know that subconsciously that gives me like a dopamine rush when i'm like sharing content that like i i'm so proud of creating and people are telling me you know that they're finding it useful and yeah or like i'm watching other people's content and i'm like this is you know making me laugh or making me feel good and and like scrolling through social media and I get caught in this cycle. And one thing that I practice is like having detoxes. So I, you know, for all of August, I came completely offline and it completely wiped my slate of and um, my relationship with social media. And like, I use it for work, so I can't not use it. But I think coming back on, I had this new appreciation for it and I actually didn't need to use it as much to get that buzz. And I think the same thing goes for things like, you know really enjoyable less nutritious foods or like going out and dancing and things like that it's like all of these things in moderation if you're doing it all the time it loses it you're going to lose interest and so we've like kids now like they you know they've got access to so many good things all at once I think we need to learn to moderate it so that they're not like getting there and then needing more Mm.
0: got yeah she basically so anna talks about that exactly that the kind of threshold thing but she also talks about the pendulum kind of swinging both ways if you think about like a seesaw she describes i guess people know about this i guess when it comes to alcohol and drugs and they'll call it a come down or they'll call it you know yeah the come down i guess but the same thing happens in the brain you have that come down from Dopamine when it's not there anymore, because your brain is essentially trying to go back to that homeostasis, you know, the middle point. So it swings back the other way, and so interestingly, that's why she says like pain and pleasure is so linked. So when people, for example, do a cold shower or a cold ice bath, they will actually. Feel a physical sensation that's painful and discomfort, but they'll get the dopamine rush of pleasure. So it's really interesting that not only are we needing more dopamine to feel good, but when we pendulum back the other way, we're actually going to need more to get us back to neutral. So, yeah, I don't know if you, how do you think that's affecting people when it comes to maybe exercise? A good example, because if people are then going, okay, I need to go for a run or go to the gym, it's going to make me feel good but then it doesn't and they're still you know what I mean they have this expectation because let's be honest it doesn't every time do you think that that is maybe linked as well to the fact we're always getting dopamine so then when we're trying to do something that is the physical pain to get the pleasure it's harder for our brains I guess to know what's going on
1: yeah I agree I think also like you know there's different things that are going to give us different levels of a dopamine hit you know like and like all the other hormones that are involved, but like feeling good and serotonin and all of those good hormones. But when it comes to exercise, like motivation is, not many people have motivation to exercise. And so if your weight or if you're depending on like that dopamine hit to carry you through, I think that's difficult. And so what you find is like, to help increase that kind of good feeling that you get from exercise people will choose a good playlist or a podcast or get new trainers or new headphones or add pre-workout and it's all these things that like really add to the experience but if you're needing all of those things every time it's very hard to like stay motivated and um one of the things that Dr Huberman advises is like to not tap into all of those things all of the time so try to get back to like that feeling where you're almost like new to exercise and you're excited by it and maybe that's changing up what you're doing Um, and maybe that's not listening to like really loud music all the time or using pre-workout and then every now and then when you really need it and you're in a really low unmotivated phase put that playlist on take that pre-workout and that will carry you through but when it comes to exercise I say to people time and time again if you're waiting or relying on motivation to get you there, then that's usually setting you up for failure because just build it in as a daily habit. When you've got habits in place, then it's automated. You're less likely to tap out on yourself. So that, I guess that's like a, a bit of a side note, but I think like a lot of people, not everyone gets that euphoria that some people get from exercise.
0: Mm, yeah. And it's interesting saying abstain from those those additional things so that then you notice and feel the benefit she also talks about that abstaining so whether that's anything that you feel like you are addicted to the dopamine like you said with social media taking a month off for some people it's sex for some people it's alcohol you know whatever it is it's hard to say doing less is sometimes harder than just doing none do you know what i mean so for me i'm definitely like an all or nothing person i'd rather say like just for example my thing is sugar I know I'm addicted to sugar I've tried to reduce my sugar intake lots of times and I know that I'm addicted so for me if I'm like Adrian, enough is enough like you need to just like sort this out I'll be like, kind of go cold turkey. And so I'm like, okay, instead of having less sugar and just having one thing, I'm like, just have none. So I don't know if that's what she means by abstain, but I think she was giving these examples of, yeah, if you can abstain, she actually talked about like 30 days, which is just so long. Uh, imagine like 30 days, you're not going to yeah use your phone or 30 days, you're not going to drink coffee. It's, it's a long time. But I think as you mentioned, it can resets your kind of I guess you kind of you're normal so that when you re-enter after 30 days you're like okay wow like this tastes really sweet or this run feels amazing because I've got music whereas I just had 30 days of running with no headphones so maybe that's an interesting challenge to kind of throw out there and people can start to challenge themselves to maybe do a bit of a streak like how long can you yeah abstain from something before re-enter reintroducing it again Mm -hmm. what do you think
1: yeah I agree I agree so I would say like it's it's so difficult because, and it also seems like counterintuitive, like, why would I take away the thing that actually gives me the dopamine hit? But like, it's, it's, you're getting into the cycle where you're needing more and more, you almost need to reset so that you're like, you're feeling good and you're feeling happier at like a lower level of stimulus. And that's, that's essentially where we want to be. That's a goal, right? You want to be happier with less as opposed to more. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean that literally. That is like you know, capitalism. Let's try and be happier with less. And as you. Mo- you mentioned kids. Obviously, listeners know that I have a ten-year-old son, and I worry about this. You know, I worry about this for children in general, but especially you know, looking at my own son and watching how his behaviour has changed in the last year. I guess with you know, he's getting older. He wants to do what his friends are doing. Things like games and screens, and it's kind of again, I'm thinking about this, and I try to, for example, like I'm not going to demonise those things and say oh they're going to be bad. In our house, I think that's kind of too extreme. But I do try to make things to make him do things one at a time. That's kind of my rule. So it's interesting when you mention then if you're on the sofa and you're looking at the phone and you're looking at the TV and you're eating snacks. It's like I try and make him do things one at a time. So I'm like, okay, if you're picking a show you want to watch and it's thirty minutes, he has to watch the whole show. And because what he likes to do and a lot of kids I think like to do this now is just flick through channels. And because Hazel do you remember when we grew up there was like three channels or like literally <laughs> there's like cartoons or CITV or whatever now if they've got Netflix and Disney plus or Sky or I mean we don't have Sky but he will literally go from Netflix this channel and he'll change it like five minutes into the episode he'll check if if I let him he changed another one or he'll say watch something on YouTube then change another one and these like short bursts of like three minutes five minutes three minutes so now that's the rule it's like pick and stick we call it So I'll say, you know, scroll through, spend a few minutes, pick the one you want, and then you have to pick and stick. You watch that one show, and when it ends, you turn off the TV. And like with games, it's the same, like pick the game you're going to play today, play the game, and it's not changing every five minutes.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the best thing, the best advice, because yeah, when we were younger, it was, there was less things to like stimulate us and, you know, not all of these things are like positive behaviours. So we just need to keep that in mind. And yeah, I think we all need to be more aware of these things and like catch ourselves when we are in a low moment. And then we, you know, go to Instagram to like fill that little void to like give us that little buzz. And yeah, it's like similar to like going back to like a toxic ex, I always think, like (laughs) because you go back to that place of familiar, familiarity where you're like, This is giving me this security, this sense of like happiness or belonging or whatever. And you get that hit of dopamine, but it's like short and sweet and then it's gone and then you have that come down again. And so it's just self-regulation, which we don't really practice very often anymore.
0: Mm, It's so hard to do it in this world because Mm. of course things are just there. You know, it's not just because we're talking about it now, you know, we're certainly not exempt from yeah those things that are just there temptations all the time and yeah having the discipline i think to self regulate and to abstain from things and to challenge yourself to do those physical hard things whether that is a 30 second cold shower or um i don't know going for an extra 1k on your run with no yeah no headphones or something but i think i think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and who kind of uh enjoy the kind of you know similar things and topics that we talk about on the show are those kind of people you know who will send a message saying yeah I do the cold showers and yeah I do this and that and I think they're quite open to you know challenging themselves mentally and physically I'm not sure if you find the same thing Hazel but I think maybe I'm being in a little bit of a bubble but I think generally it seems to be that people are craving it more and maybe that's because we have less time in our life at the moment where we where we have to You know, do challenging things or face adversity or do tough things. Because, of course, we could live in comfort now all the time. You know, we've got electricity, we've got, you know, if we're fortunate enough, privileged enough to have, you know, food in the fridge and a nice, comfy bed. And I think people are craving discomfort actually because it's, there's a real human element of benefit there.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, you know, there's different types of people. And I imagine that like your audience and the people listening, are motivated to do you know do better in their life and chase their goals and things like that and so you're cut from a different cloth and you understand that that momentary discomfort brings a lot of benefit in the long run and like not many people are willing to have that delayed gratification we all want the instant it's like it's like innate human to want like instant gratification like to taste the sweet stuff to feel loved all of that but ultimately if you can work hard for something and know that it's coming in the end that is so much sweeter
0: Mm And I guess there's some things that you just can't do quickly let's be honest you know how long did it take you to get your to become a doctor I've studied how many years?
1: <laughs> I did two degrees to get there, so seven.
0: Seven years, you see. And I'm sure that that kind of sweet feeling of like Dr. Hazel Wallace, I'm sure seeing it, saying it, I would, I would enjoy that every single time. So was it worth the wait?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, there was times where you just think that you're never going to get through, but something like getting a degree in whatever you do, I think it's just such a big milestone for everyone. Like it's such a difficult thing or writing a book or like, you know, working towards like getting a promotion, you know, there's, there's so many different things in life, but those kind of the hard part in those things is like, you need to just get your head down and grind through and you're not getting instant feedback or someone telling you you're doing great all the time. And then you get to the end and yeah, it feels good. But it's also really easy to forget how good that feels.
0: Mm, And really really easy to forget that other people have done that work. You know, that joke of like, it's the overnight success that took 10 years. And actually for anyone listening, we mentioned at the start of your episode on the Power Hour years ago and if anyone, you know, again, I said, go back and listen to that. But you talk in that episode, actually, Hazel, I don't know if you remember this, but about, yeah, studying and saying that, you know, people might look at you now and the work you do and think, oh, you're super smart, super academic. And you, in that episode, I think you shared that you, I don't know if you didn't get accepted maybe the first time to the Mm. course that you wanted. And people, again, you know, commented saying, wow, like, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I applied for this thing and I didn't get it or I failed something. And in, in an academic context, that can be the end of the road if you let it because you think well I tried that I'm not smart enough or I didn't get on the course or other people around you can maybe think oh you know what that's really hard you know becoming a doctor or you know becoming whatever it's like that's really hard maybe you're not that smart and I think a lot of people were yes yeah, so uplifted hearing that you were like no I I know I can do this I'm gonna try again and look at you now
1: yeah yeah, that's, it's so true. It's like, well, if you don't try, you instantly fail, right? And so that's my, like, life motto. So I, when I left school, I didn't get into medicine first time around. So I moved to Wales and did medical sciences. And then after that, kind of merged into medicine. And actually, when I merged in, I was top of my year. So, like, I went from someone who wasn't the smartest in their year in school and almost, like, had this thing that I I couldn't be smart enough or I would never be a doctor and then taking myself into a new environment and yeah I just excelled and learned how to like what worked to my benefit and got there in the end and I think yeah for me telling that story is really important because people look at the food medic or what I've achieved and they're like oh well she's done three degrees clearly she's very very smart but actually Maybe I am intelligent, but I'm just very, very hardworking and very, very consistent and very, very persistent. And it's like what you do most of the time is what determines how successful you're going to be, whether it's academia, sport, life, whatever. And so no one tells you that part.
2: Mm hmm. (laughs)
1: yes
0: no I love that because you're right what you do most of the time and by most of the time that is usually daily you know it is the daily habits it is the routines and as much as it starts to become boring when it's like make it routine repetition you know persevere 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 that is actually the truth you know that's what I mean about the 10-year overnight success so given that we've talked so much about you know achieving and striving and kind of balancing out the need for more and whether we should and becoming addicted I don't really want to ask this question but I'm (laughs) going to frame it in a different way so I'm not going to say like oh what's next Hazel (laughs) you know but I would love to know as I know you well I know that you're working on a a lot of things I'd love to know what you're most excited about right now
1: so like I said kind of a little bit earlier on in the podcast I'm really focusing on the work that I do as part of the food medic which if people aren't aware or heard of it's kind of my educational platform which I started way back in med school Um, and it's now like you know a couple of books a podcast um, and that is my I've never had in my life where I've just focused on that so it's really exciting for me to fully kind of get my teeth into it and expand and grow and try to reach more people and so I am working on a book which I can't really talk much more about but like that's been my baby for the last year so you know really excited for that to come out hopefully 2022 with everything going well and I am also working on a couple of other projects and products um, which I think will be you know exciting for people by the time this podcast comes out I'm sure um my journal will be out which is habit journal and that's like you know people know me as a doctor a nutritionist fitness but and so a habit journal is maybe slightly left field but for me it was really important because how I got to where I am and how I live a healthy lifestyle is all down to the habits that I've built and the practices that I've put into place. So for me, that's step one, when people are starting to build their healthy, healthy journey or a healthy life, whatever it might be. And I come back to it all the time. I'm a huge fan of like James Clear and like Gregory McCune. And I just think if people could start there, start with their behaviors, then it makes everything so much easier. So that's one big thing that I'm working on at the moment. Um, And also I'm like moving towards more uh, kind of like online webinars, hopefully workshops, maybe some courses. And yeah, I'm really excited about that because these are the things that have been on my like, I want to do this for many, many years. And I've just been like, I don't have time. Oh my God, I can't even think about that because I just can't, I don't have time to wash my hair anymore. And so to have this time is terrifying because I have to try it now. Like I have to do it.
2: (laughs) Yes
0: you're going it's exciting because you're going all in on yourself and you know for a lot of people who maybe when you say side hustle you know some people have a side hustle and it's you know it doesn't matter how big or how small or how many followers they have or many sales they have of their product or their book whatever but your side hustle is huge and it's grown and it's grown over time and as you said you've done it alongside work and study and I'm so happy as a friend to literally know and to see you going all in on yourself because you know, I wear a lot of hats too. And I think it's really, it's it's courageous. It's really courageous to go all in on yourself and go, these are my ideas. This is what I want to share with the world. This is what lights me up. And to just go full steam ahead, you know, with the support of whether it's the team, agents, book publishers, whatever, ultimately, it still comes to you. You know, it's still your name on it. It's still your work. And so I'm very proud of you. And I'm excited to see all of the things that are going to come.
1: Thank you that means a lot but yeah you're right in that it's terrifying because it's on you if it doesn't work out but like I said like if you don't try then you automatically fail and so and like so what (laughs) so what if it doesn't work out like at least you've tried it and also if it doesn't work one way then try another way.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, it's not even a question in my mind about it failing. I feel like it's just more around, you know, which things will you enjoy the most, which things will, you know, bring the most value to your community. It's just there's so many things there. It's almost like as well, I'm reading and researching a lot about this at the moment for a project that I will be talking about next year. (laughs) But, you know, I I like to think of it as there's lots of irons in the fire, you know. So instead of just having one where, you know, I think, previously we've kind of been told that, you know, like go all in on one route, one thing, you know, become an expert and just do that one thing. Um, which of course has merit and value. But I think if you can take that one thing but then fraction it some way so that there's like I say different irons in the fire, then I think there's also less pressure on this like binary success and failure because ultimately you can kind of go, Well, you know, the whole eggs in one basket thing, you know, if one egg cracks, that's fine. We've got we got six more so <laughs> um but anyways i oh, honestly hazel we never have enough time i could always talk to you I mean I'm not gonna let it be three years before we do another episode because this has just been amazing I know the listeners are gonna love this one so if you're listening if you're enjoying it please let us know I say this at the end of every show but I think by the end you know when it's kind of like you've listened to the whole episode I don't know maybe you've finished your drive or your run or whatever and so it's quite easy to be like yeah wicked cool tune in next week but I think um yeah I guess just a little call out would be to say firstly thank you to everyone who actually takes like 20 seconds to go on iTunes and write a review or takes 20 seconds to just do a screen grab and share a story it's like it really does like i don't know how you feel hazel but i feel like it really makes a difference when you're like oh this person you know they say oh they learned this or they they shared that People so people are like oh i sent this to my mom because you know i knew she would enjoy it and it always always puts a smile on my face so if you do have 20 seconds to do that i would really appreciate it and let's move into the last part of the podcast which of course is the power hour
2: So, last time you were
0: on, Hazel, I don't know, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember what you talked about, <laughs> what your power hour was like in 2018?
1: I think it was pretty much the same, like... I start my day every, I start my morning by making my bed first thing. That
0: is exactly what you said. Um, (laughs) For anyone who's going to listen to it, that is exactly what she said. You were like, I make my bed. It is non-negotiable.
1: It's a non-negotiable. Like even if I'm like away with anyone or like someone's staying over, I'm like, we got to make our bed. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know if you're staying at Hazel's
0: house, you got to make that bed.
1: Um, Because it's just like one, like it's one, the first achievable thing that you can do in your day. And I think it just sets the tone for the rest of your day. So that's like number one. Um,
0: dopamine hit achievement
1: yeah I try not to look at my phone for I usually sleep with my phone in airplane mode and have like a loomy clock as my alarm so I try not to look at my phone for at least like 45 minutes Um, and that will be I'll get up and I'll make my coffee I will get out my journal and write, creating my own journal has been Um, the reason I wanted to do it is because I have two journals normally because I feel like there was no journal that offered me everything I needed. Whereas like the journal that I've created starts with like a morning check-in and then also like setting out your biggest goal for the day and then like si- like kind of writing out your personal and uh, kind of work goals. And then has an evening check-out later on in the day. But I wanted something that kind of, first of all, is reflective when I first wake up. So what am I thinking about? How am I feeling? But then something that allows me to like channel my energy towards the rest of the day so that's my kind of first thing in the day Um, and then I like to kind of have my shower get ready and ideally head to the gym prior to getting into work because again I feel like that sets the tone for the rest of my day I'm like a lot more motivated I do my best thinking in the gym so I'm like thinking okay I've got this project coming up today or I'm on this podcast today or someone's coming on the podcast and yeah I just feel like that makes me my most productive. And, you know, sometimes that isn't how it goes. Um, but yeah, over the years I've shaped it. I used to meditate a lot and I don't actually really anymore, which I felt a bit of a failure of, of not doing anymore. But for me, it I was forcing myself to do it. And when I was in the pandemic and working every day, it was actually making me ruminate on a lot of the hard things that were happening. So I swapped that for an end of the day walk, which I used to kind of close the stress cycle. If you've read the book, Burnout, um, they talk about closing the stress cycle. And for me, that's like walking home from work or having a short walk after work or, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of my ways of meditating now.
0: Yeah. And I guess things do change, you know, as we all, we all change, we all evolve. And I think not having something that is set and rigid, you know, I I did a talk recently and at the end they were like, okay, you've talked about the power hour and goal setting and how to achieve, but they were like, what's your power hour? What do you do every day? And it's interesting because if you ask me, I guess now or a year or two ago, it does change. But I think for both of us, Hazel, even though what we do in that hour changes, I think the how important that morning start is for both of us, you know. Just that's the bit that you know I say joking about non negotiable with the bed, but it really is non negotiable for me to start my day in a way that I've chosen to. You know, I never want to just open my eyes and go straight into what everybody else wants and needs from me. I think that's something I've learned, you know, definitely over the last the pandemic and just different, I think the hybrid working thing for a lot of people, you know, they don't feel like they can disconnect and switch off. So yeah, I think keeping that time is is so, so important. And I know it's not always possible. But yeah, having a start of your day, which you decide is really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And also, like you said, if you're starting the day based on someone else's terms, like, you're never going to get the things achieved that you want to achieve. So the worst thing you can do is like open your emails as at the, as the first thing that you do in the morning.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah a friend of mine she literally told me this and i was just almost so shocked for her not in a judgmental way but just in like a please don't do that and she basically said that she wakes up she gets her phone in bed sits up in bed goes through like work things emails different they have a a platform at work called slack so she was looking at slack messages and then basically starts replying to them so starts essentially doing her work from bed and then she was like once i've actioned loads of stuff then i'll if i have time literally like have a shower and she was like then I just get my laptop and just carry on so basically from the from about 90 seconds after waking up she's already replying to people in her office and I was just like why do you do that and she basically said it was because she felt that it was kind of the only way she could get ahead of the amount of work that she has to do at the moment like her workload she said is just so much that she basically was like unless I do that yeah I'm just constantly trying she's just I'm just constantly trying to catch up and again I think because this particular friend you know she doesn't have children she doesn't live with anyone she was like oh it's harder because there's no one there to see me or to judge me or mm. to kind of you know like if you've got a boyfriend or a husband or kids you you kind of she was like you couldn't do that you couldn't literally open your eyes start writing emails in bed because your partner would be like what are you doing but she said there's no one there to see or judge me so I just do it and it's become her normal for the for the last year
1: yeah that's um it's sad it's sad that like that that is people's normal and I and I feel like I've definitely been that person and been that woman who's like that's what you're doing you know straight away when you wake up in the morning but like I think like if I did that now I would just never get dressed or get any work done because you just get like sucked into the ping pong of emails back and forth um and yeah like you just if you don't put your foot down and create boundaries, then it's such a slippery slope and you just lose less and less of your life.
0: Yeah totally agree with that so anyone listening if that's you we are not judging you but we would love for you to start having a power hour of your own so time to wrap it up uh hazel it's been wonderful it's been great i feel like this is maybe going to be the start who knows see what my producer jack has to say but of me on the road with my mic i really hope <laughs> we've done a good job with the sound and i hope that the listeners have really enjoyed hearing our conversation i'm sure they have so please do let us know obviously you can rate you can review all that good stuff i've already said and just have an awesome week. Thank you so much, Hazel.
2: Thank you for having me. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.